Hey community, welcome to our sermon podcast for wanderers, seekers, and thinkers, for deconstructing and reconstructing. This is a feed of Open Door Church, a faith community focused on God's love and grace, a progressive church built around action, community, and people. Enjoy this week's message and check back often as we're posting new content every week. talk about 2018 and then we'll talk a little bit about 2019. Hopefully in the process we can identify sort of what we're doing and who we are and what we're trying to be and stuff. But I wanted to share a few things first about how the year went because it depends on what numbers you're looking at on how awesome we are. So we do, we do a few big events every year. Uh, one of them which has grown remarkably every year, has been our Easter egg hunt, which we do at Easter. And we do it in this park right back here. Have you been to this park back here? It's pretty bleak. Just, that's where it is. And I tell this story from time to time when we're talking specifically about this event, because every time I think about it, it reminds me, uh, when I was in seminary or grad school or whatever you want to call it, uh, we had a chapel on campus that was built out of concrete. Uh, normally, when you build a chapel, you, you go for like beautiful colors and nice woods and, and things that are lovely. Uh, the, the room is mostly concrete. There are some, there's some wood pews, but it stacks. It's like uh, there's like seating that goes up and all of it's concrete. And, uh, and there's little pockets around the chapel and it's all concrete. And the idea and the intent was that it's, it's this room with, that's rather bleak. And when I go back, sometimes I try to take pictures to, to get the, the sense of what's going on, and I can never quite capture it, uh, so I just leave them. But the idea was when you fill the chapel with people, the people provide the color. The community is not in the pews or in the building it's in the people and that's what I feel about this park back here because when we had our easter egg hunt this year we had more than 300 kids I didn't see a single kid cry which is amazing and and all like 300 kids and parents and people come from uh, around our neighborhood and beyond to show up to our easter egg hunt every year and they fill this park and you don't even notice the bleakness of the park because it's filled with people. And I love that. And, uh, and one of the things, it's kind of a subtle thing because you could look at it like an outreach event, like, oh, we're just trying to get our name out there, which we are always trying to do. But the more nuanced thing that I try to talk about and remind us of is that building community is about bringing people together. And sometimes that doesn't look like a thing in church. Sometimes that doesn't look like a a church event. It looks like a community event where neighbors, and I hear this every time we do this event, I hear people say, oh, I haven't seen so-and-so in so long, and they live two doors down from me. But they see each other at that Easter egg hunt because the park is filled with neighbors. And that's something special, and it's a small piece of creating community and bringing uh, the king. This is a weird statement at this moment, but bringing the kingdom of God here 
to our neighborhood. And that's kind of what those things are about. The second big event that has also grown to a number that we just like are on the edge of managing. And if it grows bigger, we don't manage and it's total chaos uh, is our Grinch photos, which again was amazing. We had uh, 180 families come through and get pictures with the real true Grinch. Uh, Daniel showed up. I don't know if you got an email. If you didn't get an email, I put the video on YouTube, but if you, if you came and got an email, you got a time lapse of the makeup going on Daniel, which was like two hours long. The prosthetics, the whole bit, uh, from Daniel color to the bright Grinch green, and it was awesome. Uh, that's on YouTube. You didn't even know we had a YouTube channel, channel, and you do now. We'll share that more later. But anyway, 180 photos uh, with families come through. Uh, we don't do the math, but somewhere in there, like 2.5 kids times uh, 180 plus their parents, and you get to like some 700, 800 number of people that come through our doors. And look at us. There's like eight of us, right? And and only minimal amounts of uh, of complaining about not getting photos and stuff like that because they have a typo in the email or they don't write clearly when they fill it out or... It goes to their spam folder. Who knows? Whatever. Anyway, it was awesome. Again, it's, it looks like just a fun thing we do, but there's a nuance to that. There's something specific about who we are that says, no, it's not just about uh, throwing a big party. It's about connecting people, people to neighbors to neighbors. It's about rubbing shoulders with people that you may not see on a normal basis, but this event provides that opportunity for community to happen. So those are some of our big, our big events. But one thing, so we joke about the seats being empty this morning. Uh, but this is not necessarily a joke. And it was part of our year is that we had fewer showing up for worship on Sunday morning. Uh, as the one who speaks often here, it's discouraging to have fewer people in the seats. There's more significance than just the numbers of the seats, right? It, it's not always a measure of success of how many people you have in your seats. It is a measure. The measure of success is the collection plate. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> that's, uh, that's something different. It is discouraging. And we had, uh, to start off our year, we had our board chair and their awesome family move to the island. A few months later... Our board secretary and their awesome family moved to Chile. Uh, and, and we've lost a few others for ideological reasons or something else. And, and those are always disappointing things to hear and to deal with, especially as a, as a congregation that's like trying to create this communal atmosphere of a family. And so, uh, those are, those are disappointing things. But as I've been thinking about that through this year and seeing our numbers both shrink and grow, because the, the flip side of that is that we're adding people all year long, which is awesome. Uh, many of you are less than a year. Many of our eight people here have been here less than a year, which is amazing uh, and, uh, and is wonderful and is, a, is also a measure of how we're doing and what's happening uh, and so, so while we have this sort of up and down of people, literally you sitting in seats, 
we also think about things in a different way. And as I've been thinking about that, honestly, you're going to think this is just some preacher junk. But honestly, in 2018, I feel like we are fulfilling our mission. We have been fulfilling and working toward our mission and our vision better than we ever have before. And there's something very significant to be said about our numbers being down, but the work that we're doing and the space that we're, be, we're creating being extremely meaningful and significant. So for this year, we've been down every other week at Anita Place Tent City. You see how many show up. Some weeks we have this many serving at Anita Place Tent City. So many that I just sit and watch and talk to people and see how they're doing and, and hang out. In fact, most weeks, that's all I end up doing. Maybe that says something about me, sorry. But point being, we have, we have this great, uh, meaningful thing that we're doing every other week. And the numbers aren't there that we don't have a ton of money, but we are able to spend, uh, have, you care enough about serving that we are there. And would we rather be doing something like creating or providing housing? Sure, we're just not there yet. Another day. But to be there and to say to people that are living on the streets and that are uh, living moment to moment and say, we're here. We care about you. We care about what how you're, you're being taken care of. We care about uh, the, the fact that you are part of our community too and we're going to come and hang out with you uh, and spend time uh, with you. That is a big statement. To tell them or to share them with them that we have your back and we're here with you is a really big deal. But that's part of living our vision and our mission that we really are playing out. Another piece that I think has been really significant this year, near the end of, well, at the beginning of 2017, we began studying, and, and many of us were, had already done this work uh, long before, but, but we began studying as a church body how we were going to address LGBTQ and the church, and specifically our church. And how, what does the Bible say? How do we read it in context? How do we understand all of these difficult statements that are out in the church world? And how are we going to respond to it? So that's been a couple of years now, but it wasn't until later in the year that we, we really drafted a statement, put it on our website, uh, presented it to the church and all of this stuff and really um, began, even though we were already uh, living out as a family inclusive values, which is what led our conversation. But putting that in formal writing and on our site and having that formal conversation led us to a really unique place. And over the last year, we've been living that out and, and really understanding what it means to be inclusive. Uh, every few weeks, well, let me just give you some backstory. When you donate online, did you know you could donate online? You can donate online. Just, just on the app, you click the little donate button. Sorry. 
I'm joking about that, which is odd because that's like the third time and I don't ever joke about it. But <laughs> anyway, I tell you that because when you do donate online, uh, I get an update email. It doesn't give me names. It doesn't give me numbers. But uh, it sends me an email that says, uh, you've received a donation from uh, a, a one-time donation or a monthly donation. And there's a box that has a message space. And you can write a message in the box when you donate. And that's really the whole point of this is to get to this message box. Because when I get that email, it says, you've received a donation. Here was a message included. And every few weeks, I have a message that tells me something like, it is so amazing to come to church as myself and be welcomed. To be a place of refuge, a true place of refuge, has to be the most significant thing we can do as a church. And I don't say that lightly. Many of us are unwelcome in other churches. Um, We don't have the right theology, or we um, don't have the right background, or we have questions that other churches don't like to answer, or they answer them in patent ways that aren't purposeful or meaningful or helpful, or we're tired of being on the wrong side of history at every moment in a matter of social justice. Like These are all things that many of us are here because of these experiences. For some of us, it's because we identify as LGBTQ, and we are literally not welcome out of their churches, or we're welcome and told, sure, come on in, and we'll tell you what's wrong with your life and how we can change it. We don't have a theology that we say, here's what you believe. We do have a set of values that looks at the life of Christ and says, here's where, here's how Jesus lived. How he lived in community, how he lived with people, how he welcomed every single person that approached him and treated them with dignity and as an individual and saw them. I was sitting in a meeting a few weeks ago. It was a very strange meeting. I still don't know what the purpose was. Um, but it was on a conversation on Soji. And we had uh, Soji. Soji is the, the curriculum in schools on uh, gender identity and, and inclusion in schools and, and educating students. Uh, and so the, what I thought I was going to, what I thought I was going to was a meeting on how we're supposed to combat the Christian anti-Soji movement. And then we like got into this like conversation and I realized not everyone here is actually, they're interested in doing that, but actually they don't know where they stand on, on the question and how it relates to the Bible and Christianity at all. And I'm backing up going, this is a, I don't know if I have time to spend months educating. Um, anyway, sorry. But I, we were in this meeting and, and this, this gentleman wants to, express something about uh, side B, which maybe you know or maybe you don't. We can do that later. And, and I was thinking about Jesus, and I was thinking about really the way Jesus approaches every individual is this moment, instead of looking at where they've been or who they are or uh, what job they do for a living, 
uh, a tax collector, someone that's hated, a soldier, someone that is literally oppressing this group of people. Um, We're going to read from uh, John 8 in a minute, uh, a, a woman that's caught in adultery, which breaks every uh, well, breaks laws and, and puts him in a really awkward place and her in an awkward place. And, and in all of these moments, I see Jesus approach someone. And instead of looking at the situation, instead of looking at where they're from, instead of looking at, at um, these external factors, Jesus, I think, looks them in the eyes. And I think you can hear him in his eyes say to them, I see you. I know you, I hear you, I love you in every single space. When the rest of the world drives right by Anita Place, Jesus stops and looks them in the eye and said, says, I see you for who you are, for your beauty, for your individuality, for, for your uniqueness, for the suffering that you've been through or that you're, you're currently in. Jesus identifies each individual. If that's not our purpose, I don't know what we're doing. And when we talk about Open Door as a refuge, uh, a literal sanctuary where we can build community on the universal presence of God's love and grace and compassion, that's more important than how many seats we've filled this year. And so on the one hand, of course, it's discouraging when we have fewer people present on Sunday morning. But on the back side of that, we are doing something so, I believe, so significant and so meaningful that I wouldn't have it any other way. And I think that's an important piece to remember. I'll just take a break for a minute. Um, This is one of my favorite stories. Uh, You know when... We all read the Bible with our own lens, right? Our own perspective, uh, our own values and how and what the Bible is and where we come from. And there's always stories that you have to break from your own lens to read. This is one of those for me. Because all of the best manuscripts exclude John 8, 1 through 11. Uh, which means that I have to read John 8, 1 through 11, and well, 7.53 through 8.11. And I have to go, well, um, <clears throat> in other places I might recognize that this is a late addition to the text uh, and, and move on with my life. But in this case, I feel that it's so central to the story and who Jesus is, I have to recognize that it's a late addition and say to myself, and I'm going to uh, break with my normal way of viewing the text and read this anyway as one of the most significant pieces. Does that make sense? Basically, it wasn't included in the original John. That's what I'm saying. But we're going to read it anyway because it's super important and significant. And we're going to ignore my scholarship for a minute. Well, Jesus, uh, excuse me, early in the morning... He came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before all of them. They said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. 
Now then, what do you say? They said this to test him, so that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, I often think about this moment. When you stand, you project authority. That's why when we built this stage up front here, we had it built two extra feet high so that I could project authority over you. When you stand, you, you have a presence about you. Also, I'm five six, so I have to have some extra. And Jesus kneels, and the text reads, and they brought her to stand before him. But I have a hard time picture her standing in this moment. I think maybe uh, if she's standing, she's slouched at, at most. Because in this situation, there's no way this, there's no way the, the woman is standing with confidence here. Like, what are you going to say? That's not, that's not her posture. They've brought her here, and at, and at best, I think she has her head down and is slouched and making herself as small as possible. I usually envision her also kneeling or on the ground because I think Jesus is putting himself in her, own, in her position in this moment. I think when, she, when he kneels down, he puts himself on her level. And he says, I'm here with you. And whatever he's writing in the sand, we can talk about all day. But he's at, at her level, maybe eye to eye. And it's that same moment of, I see you. I feel your pain. I understand where you've been and who you are. And I still love you. And in this moment, he makes this connection with her that goes beyond judge or uh, goes beyond the, the laws of the moment and, and whatever entrapment that these Pharisees or religious leaders are trying to bring to him, his first response is to connect with her. His first response is to let her know, I love you. I'm here with you. I've got your back. Wherever she's been, whatever she's done, whatever life looks like, I've got your back. You deserve the same dignity. You deserve the same uh, respect that the men standing over you deserve. And his response when he finally stops writing is to say, essentially, you who have not sinned, you can throw the first stone, which is kind of a cop-out. But it gives them a chance to think about where they're coming from. It gives them a chance to think about who they are. It gives them a chance to think about why they feel the need to be present in this moment with this woman. And one by one, the wisest first walk away, and it's just Jesus and the woman. This is that space of refuge. When the rest of the world turns their back, Jesus is still present. When we talk about what we're doing as a church, this is what we're doing. Providing a space to encounter God for everyone. And we often forget about the, the religious leaders in that moment, but there was no condemnation of them either. He gave them also an opportunity to encounter God. 
That's what we're doing here. And so, yeah, it's discouraging to have fewer seats filled. And it's discouraging when when people leave. But if this is what we're living out, it is incredibly significant. And I think that we are doing it better than we've ever done at Open Door while I've been here. And so as we look into 2019, our question is, what is next? What is, what is our purpose? What are we doing? Where are we going? And in some degree, I want to say, well, it's more of the same. There are always things we can do better uh, and things that we're constantly working on. But better understanding this place of refuge, this, this sanctuary that we're literally trying to create and trying to be, that is, that is what we're doing. I think that's 2018 and what we're looking for. I would love to hear from you on where we're supposed to be. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Open Door Church. Our intro and outro music was created by Lee Rosevere and is used under a Creative Commons by Attribution license. Have a great week. Ask the hard questions and explore God's love. Everyone is always welcome to join the journey with us at Open Door. Learn more at opendoorfamily.ca. That's opendoorfamily.ca.